When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Dungeon of Doom. We are in week 18, the last week of the regular season. But guess what? We cover the Detroit Lions, so we're going to be talking about last year's draft and this year's upcoming draft because that's all we've got to live for. Once again, I'm Ben Raven, joined by my good beat partner over here. Uh, good is a relative term these days in week 18. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Mikey. It's been a long year. Um, it's, it's been a long year. Two wins. And I just feel like a lot of drama along the way from you know all the offseason firings and hirings. Uh, to the COVID mess, uh, new quarterback, trading the franchise-leading quarterback, all this stuff that we've covered for months at this point, Ben, and we're at the end of it all, and they've won two games to show for it. It's just uh, taken a bit of a toll, um, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited here to get to the offseason and kind of reset a little bit, um, you know, and get into the draft season, you know, and we're going to have Aaron McMahon, our, our Michigan football writer, on in the back half of this, uh, this episode of the podcast, talking about Aiden Hutchinson, obviously. I, I think one of the top targets for Detroit with the top two pick they're guaranteed to have in the draft. Uh, until then, Ben, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about when it comes to Brad Holmes and as it relates to the draft, his team's efforts in the first draft. It was just one class, just seven players, a pretty small class, um, but they've gotten a lot of contributions and from unexpected places. Uh, I just, I'm curious, Ben, what, what did your, you know, who's been your favorite player, your top player out of this, this draft so far this season? You know, it really does start at the top of Panay Sewell. I mean, the dude is just a bona fide badass every step of the way. And I think there were just flashes of stardom in the run blocking phase from day one. And uh, just to see how the kid responded from playing right tackle and all the kind of drama that went with that to playing left tackle with Decker Hurt to flipping back to right and still showing signs of growth like every step of the way. Like his pass protection has really improved in the back half of the season which is pretty impressive considering the fact that he's playing on the opposite side that he actually started the season on. It's just been like, like we've talked about several times. He talks crap. His attitude is like everything you want from a media member from like, you can, it's easy to see from a fan perspective, like this guy's going to sell jerseys and you can't really say that about too many right tackles, starting right tackles, maybe a left tackle someday, but just it's been Sewell. Obviously there's a obvious candidate down the stretch, but just, Every step of the way, it's been a blast to see that guy grow and just kind of defy expectations no matter what side he's been on. I actually asked Dan Campbell just, just this week. I was in my hotel room in Seattle. Um, they had, the team had already flown back to Detroit, uh, and Campbell was having a, a video conference with some beat writers. And uh, I asked him, uh, wrapping that thing up, just about Pinay because Pinay was going on the, the COVID list. Uh, you know, he, he might play on Sunday, but he might not. Uh, and it's just been a hell of a year, and I've really enjoyed watching him far more than I enjoy watching most offensive linemen. He plays with that edge you're talking about, Ben. You know, he he's just been really good, and it's not just that he's been good. It's been the degree of challenge uh, that he's experienced while playing so well. You know, he, he didn't play last year at Oregon. He opted out because of COVID stuff. He only played two years in college, which is not a lot. Then he comes into the NFL cold after sitting out a year. Uh, he's asked to do a to learn a brand new position they hadn't played since high school, right tackle. So he moves from left to right side. Then four days before the season opener, uh, Taylor Decker suffers his injury. So he goes, 
Pinay goes back to left tackle, gets in two practices there, then starts on Sunday as the youngest left tackle in NFL history. And who's on the other side of the line from him? Nick Bosa. I mean, the, the challenge is, is ex- extraordinary. And I, I think that's true for all rookies who start on the offensive line in the NFL. I think it's especially true for left tackles because you're seeing the premier pass rusher most weeks. And the kid did it bouncing between sides of the offensive line, doing it cold without playing the previous year. I mean, I, I mean all this stuff that we all know about. And he allows zero sacks. And he had the blip from weeks four to five, allowed four sacks. And outside of that blip, one sack allowed all year while bouncing between the left and right side and all the challenges therein. I, it's really exceptional stuff that we've seen from Panay Sewell. He's been a top five right tackle since moving to that position. And it's just been incredible stuff. We're not used to seeing this kind of stuff from a, from a, uh, you know, a rookie offensive lineman. And so I wanted to ask Dan Campbell, uh, you know, this week about it, Ben, and, um, and we can get the audio queued up uh, here from our production team. Oh boy, that's, that's good. Look, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I feel like the most growth has come in his pass protection, is what I would say. Uh, because I feel like the run player has been there uh, almost since he stepped on onto the property here. And uh, but, but man, I think you, you saw the growing pains a little bit. Him, you know, going against some really good rushers in preseason and early in the year, he's left, he goes back to right, you know, and. Uh, Man, he's dealt with some damn good rushers, and, and uh, you know, he had some ups and downs. And I feel like, man, over the last, really, the last half of the season, he's really grown. And uh, and you feel like, I mean, there, there was about three or four different sets in there yesterday where you watch him on, on uh, Carlos Dunlap, who's still a good rusher. He's long. And, uh, and, I mean, Sewell's doing a few things that you see out of, you know, a pretty crafty Wiley eight-year vet that's pretty good at like you're watching him do some things where he's trapping hands and he's you know he's just man he, he's learning at uh, an exponential rate and the fact that he's such a damn good athlete I just bring it back up again he's a great athlete he's 330 something pounds I mean it's just you know those guys are they're, they're not they don't just fall off trees so um but he, but I think that's where he really has improved, Kyle. I mean, and that's that, and that's the hardest part of his job, of that job, playing tackle. And so that's that's encouraging. Yeah. So obviously, Ben, you know, Dan Campbell's a huge fan, and and it's easy to see why um, they're getting their money's worth from the from the seventh overall pick. I think they're getting even more value out of their fourth round pick, Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm curious, Ben, um, what you've seen from. Aman Ra, what's impressed you the most this year? How he's continued, even since that week 13 explosion where he went off for his best career game, is just continued growth and just continue to do this despite a quarterback change. Last week, despite having Josh Reynolds or Raymond out there, I know those aren't the two sexiest names on the face of the earth, but that's the other two starting receivers that he was kind of running routes and sharing the field with. I mean, just this continued growth down the season. I mean, just... You knew the kid was a blocker. You knew he was feisty. You knew he had the NFL attitude from day one that these guys were looking for. But just the, I mean, this guy's six foot one, soaking wet, not 100, 200 pounds. And just the stuff that he did last week. I mean, five straight games with at least eight catches, five straight games while seeing double digit targets. I mean, this is a slot receiver. This is a rookie slot receiver who's playing like a number one receiver right now. I mean, he was the focal point of the team's offensive attack last week. And it's just, he's handled the rushing elements. He's grown with those. He's handled the blocking elements like a veteran since day one. And it's just been, now that you're seeing like, 
with the ball in his hands, these things, like the hurdles, the stiff arms, like you see what he talks about come to life, about wanting a hundred yard game, wanting to improve his yak. And it's happening and it's happening while handling just an absurd workload for a fourth round rookie with just a decimated offense around him. It's been extremely impressive. Top of the list stuff. Yeah, it's impressive. The numbers on their face are impressive. And I got curious about where those numbers stacked up historically so uh, at about four in the morning Eastern, so about 1 p.m. on the West Coast, uh, 1 a.m. on the West Coast, I'm in my hotel uh, digging through the numbers, trying to find the number of receivers who have been drafted in NFL history. So the, the answer is 2051. I double checked my math <laughs> in the middle of the night. 2051. You know how many of those guys have caught eight passes in five straight games? Well, one, I'm on Ross St. Brown. He's the only guy in the common draft era ever to do what he's just done. It's impressive stuff. He's already got the Lions rookie record for receiving yards in the season. He's 14 yards off the, um, the yardage record for a, a rookie red receiver, which is held by Roy Williams. He's already passed Kelvin Johnson. He's had a better rookie season than Kelvin Johnson. So as we're having this conversation, Ben, I, the thing I do want to say is I, I think we all see what's being done out there. And he's getting the, the, the praise that he's due for how well he's played. But I think it's important to remember that he's not Kelvin Johnson. And I don't think he projects as Kelvin Johnson, you know, as a, as a wide receiver, one type. And who knows? He might defy our expectations. He already has, right? He's produced way more than we would have expected. But even now at his height, you know, he's knocking his head on the ceiling of, of what he can do as a rookie. I, you know, I, I wonder what he would look like in a uh, functional offense you know i mean like last week no josh reynolds the, the top deep, deep threat no tj hawkinson or any other player who's supposed to play tight end for this team this year uh, you got brock Wright starting at that position as a guy who was on the practice squad to open the year no frank rag now no jared goff um no so deandre swift was back jamal williams was back but a lot of this run's been done without those guys in the backfield right so there's a lack of weapons is my my point i'm probably belaboring that point just a bit but um <laughs> What does Amon Ra look like in, a, in an offense that does have a vertical threat, that does have a tight end out there, that does have um, a quarterback, a starting quarterback out there? Like, and and how often does he get the ball? You know, I, I don't know. Like, I think on a more functional team, his numbers don't look like this. And and it's you know you have to give him this props for producing with the opportunities that are given to him, and he's stepping up and showing that he can step up and has that ability. Uh, and that's huge. These are huge developmental opportunities for Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think that bodes well for him and the Lions going forward. But I just, as I think as we look forward and spin it forward, Ben, which is what we're trying to do at the end of the season, like I don't think he is your wide receiver one. I think he's an excellent number two or can be. And I think the Lions still need to address that concern with the wide receiver one. And I think that would make everyone's life better, including Amon Ross St. Brown, including TJ Hawkinson or, or DeAndre Swift catching balls in the flat. And of course the quarterback and if the Lions do bring back Jared Goff, you know, having more weapons around them where you don't have to throw eight footballs or more to Amon Ross St. Brown every single week, regardless of whether it's there. So good stuff from him. I, I just, I, I'm trying to temper people's expectations a little bit because when I watch him play, even now, I, I still don't think he is the solution to the Lions, you know, issues at receiver. No, absolutely not. And you hit the nail on the head and we've said it over the last couple of weeks, like talking about Jared Goff's expectations, but the same goes for St. Brown. This team upgrades a vertical wide receiver with Hawkinson on the inside and guys like Swift and Jamal Williams in the backfield. I mean, this guy could be a slot machine, third down killer. That's what I see out of him. I see him a true number two wide receiver, a true slot receiver that could just take your passing attack to another level. I mean, when the vertical game goes away, you go underneath to a guy like this. I just think it is important to belabor that point because those stats can get taken out of, not out of context, but like 
<laughs> taken full steam way too far ahead when talking about this guy, comparing him to like guys like Roy Williams and even Calvin Johnson. I mean, this isn't wide receiver too. This is a slot receiver. Everything he's doing is impressive, but just like you're in trouble if this is your number one wide receiver going into a regular season. And that's not a knock on him. So between Sewell and Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, they took two defensive tackles, Levi Anzarike and uh, Ali McNeil. Uh, what have your been, you know, been your impressions? I, th- I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag with those guys, Ben. But what's your been your impression of those guys? I've been really shocked at just the lack of pass rush from Levi. He's got three pressures on the season. You know, across 364 snaps, he's got three pressures one sack and there have been flashes We defensive line coach Todd Walsh talked to us today talked about some of those flashes but even said this kid needs to get his body right heading into next year he had those back problems coming in had to go see the specialist at the beginning of the year and it sounds like they want his lower body to get stronger and I think it's easy to see why because there's only been one two three four plays where he stood out and popped off the field and it's like we're not talking about a fourth round pick here we're talking about pick 41 we're talking about a second rounder a guy that's taking in front of some studly players and I mean he's been one of the easiest players to miss on the field now McNeil I've been really impressed by his late season development for sure I think he has shocked me with his pass rush I thought this guy was going to be middle of the line run stuffer but he's been popping off the tape with some pass rush and just kind of you see the patience coming to life with guys like Alim and just like kind of waiting and out. I remember that sack he had in the Minnesota game or the Denver game the next week. It was just patience. You wouldn't see that from him in the beginning of the season. So I think McNeil's taken some very impressive steps forward in areas where I didn't expect to see him, while Levi has left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, our first day out in Allen Park after the rookies got here, you know, obviously you'd expect school with the first team and he was. Uh, but then there's Ali McNeil from the very first day as a, as a third round pick. I, I don't remember too many examples of that and this is I've, been, I've covered the team since 2013 and I can't I'd have to look at it I can't say for certain but I'd be surprised if there was another third round pick who's starting you know with the first unit on his day one in on campus you know and I think that speaks a lot to their their hopes for him and then when you talk to the staff about Ali McNeil I mean the thing they always keep bringing up is that he's even better than we expected and that seems like genuine praise to me it doesn't feel like coach speak I think his athleticism is surprising people his, his get off and his and I don't think you know when you're talking about a 300 and whatever 20 pound defensive tackle you don't typically talk about them being sudden athletes and that's kind of what Ali McNeil is and I think that that speaks well of his potential I don't think he's even scratched it yet you know, what you know, position he's playing is really difficult. Um, it's a lot of physicality. He's still a young kid, um, so he's gonna have, gonna have a lot of growing to do. But man, there's just a lot to like there, and, and to see him come on strong at a point in the season when you see a lot of rookies hitting the wall, I think again speaks really well to what they have with Lee McNeil. And you hit it with Levi. I don't really need to rehash that. He's been a little disappointing, and I think that's kind of the blemish on the class so far. They're getting plus plus play out of two guys in Sewell and St. Brown, which is excellent, especially out of a seven-man class. You got a third starter in Lee McNeil. Uh, you got two more starters in undrafted free agency, which I don't even think we have time to get to today. But with AJ Parker and Jerry Jacobs, who might have been the best undrafted rookie in the league and if he wasn't the best then he was in that conversation which I mean just a kid that no one even thought it is just a note at the bottom of the page when he's time with the Lions and uh, played really well just a bulldog a cornerback um, so it's I mean they got a lot of plus contributors from a single swing and a small draft class which makes me really curious to see what they can do next year when they have an extra first round pick they have three comp picks which is three more than they had in the last five years combined 
Um, and one of those comp picks will come in the third round. So they're going to have two, three, four picks in the first uh, or five picks in the first three rounds effectively. And that's, that's good stuff, especially when you consider what they got done this year. You know, the Levi thing is TBD, I guess, because he has not played to any sort of level that he should, you know, given the draft stock. And when you're talking about back injuries with a guy his age, I think that's also a concern just about, you know, his long-term projection with the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, everything you just said is why Lions fans should feel optimistic because I mean, I mean, everything we heard about Brad Holmes coming in was his draft evaluation, was his finding guys in the draft. And with that many picks in the first three rounds over the next two years, I mean, you're seeing some of the stuff that we talked about 11 months ago, 10 months ago, finding guys like St. Brown, finding a McNeil in the third round. I mean, seriously, I mean, like you said, there's not a ton of third. The only guy I can think of is Jonah Jackson. They've had a couple of years of third round luck getting starters but just like that's on that's that's like you said it's unheard of and it's really impressive and it's one of the things that people should most be looking forward to is seeing what brad holmes can do with all these assets great call on john jackson and actually now that i think about it graham glasgow in 2016 both those guys were day one uh, actually no actually graham wasn't but but jonah was to your point at any rate it's a small sample size of yeah. guys who came in and that speaks a lot to Ellie mcneil and one guy in the draft class we haven't said much about because there's not maybe not a ton to say about at this point but Efetu Melifanwu. Uh, uh, who is the return, the first return on the Matthew Stafford trade, got them with, got him with the third round pick in that trade and showed really promising stuff in week two when he was pressed into a starting um, assignment against Green Bay, kind of held his own, I would say more or less, except for one deep ball against Aaron Rodgers, uh, just has been a hurt too much of the year. But as a big cornerback who came in in a tough spot on Monday Night Football and played pretty well, I am really curious to see what he can do. It's just a, an incomplete at this point from Melifonwu. Um, but as we, we look forward, I, I think there's a lot to, to be, to feel good about if you're a, the you know, Detroit Lions, if you support that team, because man, one draft class and it was small, seven men is, I looked it up. It's actually the, it's the second smallest class of the last decade for Detroit. Um, so, you know, you got a lot of contributors out of that. And then you got the, the, the war chest you have going forward. Um, there's things to feel good about where this rebuild is heading. And I think, as I've, as I've written repeatedly, I, I think they're closer than people realize because they're already making lemonade on defense. Of course, they need some more playmakers, but there's a lot to like on that side of the ball with Aaron Glenn leading the way. Um, and offensively, man, they got a lot of pieces in place. They just need a little more talent. They need a, a game breaker on the outside, probably. They need to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. But I think they're a lot closer than people realize from being a, you know, a, a, in the mix for a playoff spot next year, especially when you look at the turmoil in the NFC North. And as you look forward, they have this, this top two draft pick. Obviously, it's going to be the, the biggest asset in the organization going forward. And so we can bring in, uh, I think, Aaron now to uh, to kind of break that down with uh, you know, a very small pool of prospects Detroit can, can choose from. And one of them, obviously, being Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Okay, Ben, I'm excited to hear about our, our, our next guest, keeping it in-house with our Michigan Wolverines football beat reporter, who is kindly taking his time out of the Jim Harbaugh beat to join us today, Aaron McMahon. Aaron, uh, thank you for uh, for joining us. Guys, good to be with you. It has been busy. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I've the news cycle never stops, but I'm glad to be with you guys. Especially this time of year, it seems like it seems like every year it's you know hard about to the NFL, hard about to the NFL. It's 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 kind of a cyclical kind of deal this time of year. Yeah, and especially this year after the way everything happened and you know the, the situation, the contract situation, and everything else. It's going to be interesting next probably couple of weeks. That's for sure. 
And so, so were, were you off the plane from Florida before you were writing about Harbaugh to NFL rumors? <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. I got back actually the first, so it worked out nicely. Michigan didn't end up having to play a New Year's Day game. So it was, yeah. So yeah, it's, I've been back a few days now. So you're obviously here to talk about Aiden Hutchinson, but I am curious just since we're on the Harbaugh thing real quickly, is there any credibility to, to the smoke that we're seeing or is it just the annual stuff that we've seen before with Harbaugh? normally I'd say it's just the normal stuff, but I think the nature of the report and the, the reporter who did report it, Bruce Feldman, the athletic, he tends to have his nose to the ground with a lot of this stuff, especially with coaching changes and the like. So I don't think it's worth ignoring. Um, but I will say with Jim, you never really know just because he doesn't have an agent. He doesn't really have someone leaking the, the contract financials to folks. So this is, I mean, I, I do think there's some smoke to this given the fact that, you know, he did take a pay cut last year and the fact that his, you know, his, as you could make the case that his stock as a college head coach probably has never been higher at this point. Uh, so I, I think there does, there is some validity to it, whether he stays or goes, I don't know. I still lean toward him staying. I mean, there's a lot to, to, to pass up here. Uh, you know, his, his parents are still here. He's got a good situation going. He actually has some stability with the coaching staff, which is the first time you can say that in a long time. Um, but never say never, especially, especially with him. He's kind of an, odd guy. I mean, I don't mean that disrespectfully. He's just kind of not normal, especially for a, a football coach. My only personal interaction with him was I was talking to him for a story a couple summers back and it was early in the morning. It must've been like 7am or something, or maybe 6.30am and uh, gives me a call and we must've talked for 15 minutes and I've never heard someone like less interested in doing an interview. I mean, I, it just sounded like he had a million things to do that were better than talking to me, which is fine. I'm used to that. <laughs> I, I get it. But then he's like, Hey, can you hang on a second? I'm getting a phone call. And he doesn't put me on hold. He answers a second phone and I can hear him having a, a quick conversation with somebody. Like I can hear his entire end of the conversation pretty quick, like 30 seconds or something comes back on the phone. And I'm like, Hey, Jim, I, I know you're busy and everything. So I just got one more question for you. And I ask him the one question and I'm not even kidding. He, he must've answered that one question for 10 minutes. It, it was like something had like flipped a switch and I don't, I don't know what it was, but we had a great conversation after that, probably for a half hour or so longer. It was just one of the most peculiar conversations I've ever had. <laughs> That's how it is with him. You never know what's going to get him talking or what's, what's going to get him to light up because you ask him a simple football transactional question or injury question and he shuts down. If you ask him something totally random, maybe about his family or something that, that triggers like a light bulb in his head, and he, he'll go on and on. It, it's all, it is always fascinating. We always, as, a, as a beat contingent, we always, it's something certainly we always talk about. So he's been obviously pretty open uh, talking about Aiden Hutchinson, and that makes sense because Aiden Hutchinson is one of the best players in the country. That's why you're here. He's a candidate for, I, I would say, a top two, top three pick. I think at this point, it would be a shock if he didn't go in that range. And the Lions um, are, are guaranteed to pick in the top two. Uh, they could still pick first overall if Jacksonville were, were to win on Sunday. That probably won't happen. I think we can all assume that. <laughs> yeah, that feels safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 50 to 10 uh, loss on Sunday, eight straight losses. It kind of speaks for itself. Sorry, Daryl Bevel. But uh, so Lions, either way, picking in the top two. So it's really, it's, it's probably a pretty short list for them. Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe uh, Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. But I, I think it's really Thibodeau and um, Hutchinson, when you look at the, the guys who are best regarded around the league in the NFL and also Detroit's needs, which are substantial at, at pass rusher and on the edge, especially if they release uh, Trey Flowers. So Aaron, what, you know, I guess just real broadly to start off, what can you tell us about Hutchinson's game as, as you've seen it unfold here over the past few years in Ann Arbor? Yeah, it, it, this might sound simplistic, but it, it hasn't changed much. He's 
just got anything better as a player. Like we, when, when Aiden first got to Michigan, the read on him was high motor, um, all over the place, never stops, you know, in love with Michigan, wanted to play here and everything else. And I think as the years have gone on, he's just gotten better and better. Now I, I think there was some hesitation in the off season. You know, he, he fractured his right ankle at the end of last middle of last year, sidelined him for three games. And I think there was a question of whether, how he would come back or how he would bounce back from that. And I think, He's, he's exceeded all expectations this year. Now, they used him a little bit differently in their defense with a new coordinator and everything else. But the guy is just, I mean, he never stops. You can turn on the tape, and it's like you see him chipping tackles and getting doubled and still, like, running vertically on the field. And, like, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. So I, I think it, it, whoever, get, whoever gets the first or second pick, whoever ends up taking him in the NFL draft, I think is going to get a good player. I, I still, I mean, there's obviously reservations or questions about his ceiling and everything else and how it translates, but I think there's no doubt that he's, he's going to be a, a top of the line player, you know, in, in, at the NFL level. Yeah. Um, you know, he really rocketed to the top of mock drafts and so forth. The whole draft cottage industry that's exploded at the NFL level after the Ohio state game. And obviously there was buzz on him before that, but you know, the three sacks and just a hell of a game. It's one of the best single efforts I've ever seen from a college player, to be quite honest with you. Um, goes against Iowa that, you know, has the one sack, but is just as dominant goes out there against Georgia and the box score is, is pretty light. And I, there's been some, I would say, if not pushback, then maybe just some questions out there about whether maybe he was a flash in the pan or maybe he is a little overvalued. Aaron, I watched that game and I, I watched it with a keen eye on Hutchinson because of my concerns with the Lions. And it seemed like every time they ran the ball, it was away from him. And it seemed like every time they passed the ball, it was something short. And if it wasn't something short, they were chipping the hell out of them. So, you know, you see something like that. It's not a lot of opportunities, uh, I would say, for, for sack numbers. Um, and to me, when I watched that, that's to me, the definition of a, of a playmaker, it's a guy who affects defense, you know, affects the game plan from the other side of the ball. And when I watched Georgia's game plan, it looked like it was designed to neutralize and take Hutchinson even out of the opportunity to make plays in that game. Uh, you were there. You have a much closer eye of it than I do watching it on TV. Uh, what did you think of that game? And what do you make of concerns about Hutchinson as a top two pick coming out of that game? Yeah, you, you nailed it. Going into that game against Georgia, that, that they, we, we all understood the game plan to, to neutralize Michigan's pass rush, whether it was Hutchinson or Ajabo, was to get rid of the football quickly and, and trying to run away from them. Uh, you know, their, Georgia's quarterback sets have been through the ball pretty quickly. He got it out quickly. Didn't give Aiden or Ajabo many opportunities to get to the football. Uh, and when he did, as, as you mentioned, you stupidly pointed out, you, you can go back and watch the tape. They were doubling him and shipping him with running backs and tight ends. And he, they made it very difficult for him to get to the quarterback. Now, that wasn't rare. Like other Big Ten teams, other teams have tried to do that all season long against him. Some were successful than others. Uh, but that, that certainly, you're right. I, I think that is giving him that type of attention and trying to keep him away from the quarterback is certainly the – uh, you know, is, is it, you know, that goes to show, I think his, his, his ability and the respect opponents have for him. And that's been, again, that's been the case all season long. You mentioned his big games against Ohio state. Uh, he had a decent game against Iowa. You can even go back to a couple of games before the Ohio state game, Michigan had a comfort behind win at Penn state. He had th again, three sacks came up big late. Um, th th those type of moments are what got him on the pedestal over the Heisman trophy. And you, you, you mentioned them, him launching up the NFL draft boards. Um, I'm not ready to write him off because of one, you know, poor game. I mean, you can go back and earlier in the season, some of the games where he, he didn't exactly light up the box score, but again, it was because of other teams. They did a very good job of, of recognizing what he brought to the table 
and trying to keep him away from the quarterback and, and getting the football out as quickly as possible. Aaron, I've got a, um, a clip for you. I want to run by you. It's uh, we had Graham Glasgow for Michigan offensive lineman on the podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, he had some interesting stuff to say after working out with Agent uh, Aiden Hutchinson um, during the COVID lockout off season. Um, and just had some had some pretty big things to say about him. I'm going to play that clip for you right now. Just from like being around him, like basically every day for four months or three months, I thought he was incredibly mature. I thought he was like a really hard worker. He was strong as shit. Hmm. I mean, like I don't at, at the time. Well, first of all, he's younger than my sister, and I know this has no like this has no uh, that doesn't affect you guys in any way. But like, it's kind of weird to me that he was born in like 2000. Right. Uh, that kind of messed me up a little bit, but, um, he, as I said, so like he was, he was 19 years old and he was doing like the same weights that like I was doing. And I was in like my going into my fifth year in the NFL. I was like, what the hell, man? Like, what are you on? But he was extremely professional about it the whole time. And like, he was just trying to get better. And I think that he would be a good culture fit in a good, I mean, I, I know that all their guys came from the saints and I don't know if they really want to run a three, four forever, but I feel like he would be a great four, three or three, four DN. I think he'd be great there. So when you say this kid who was born in 2000 is strong as shit. I mean, that's like a, that's a big compliment coming from a, you know, NFL veteran who's been around and sees some strong guys. What, what have you seen from Hutchinson? That, I mean, why, why do you say that? Well, I mean, you just, you see him run dudes over. I mean, he ran over that dude from Ohio state. I think that he plays he has a nice combination, I feel like, of like strength and technique that almost sort of elicits like a Bosa brother type of thing. I don't know if he's exactly as athletic as they are, but I think that it's not like a, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's like such a difference. You know what I mean? That it's a, a bad thing. I think if it was like on a scale of 100 and you put Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa at 100, he'd be at like a 90 or 92 or something, you know what I mean? But I think that overall he has the technique and the strength and overall like agility and, and athletic ability to be a good, a good player at the NFL level. Thanks to uh, Jessica Shepard, our producer for, for queuing that up. Um, Aaron, I'm just curious your reaction to Graham Glasgow's, you know, experience working out with Aiden Hutchinson a couple off seasons ago at Michigan. And I'm curious in particular with the Bosa brother comp, do you see that as well um, with Aiden Hutchinson? Yeah, the, the Bosa brother comp has been brought up a couple of times now this year. It, it certainly is comparable. I, it, I don't have any disagreements with that at all. At all. As, as regards to Aiden's strength, you can, you can probably Google, your listeners can probably Google this, but in the off season, um, you know, Bruce Feldman of the athletic puts, to get, puts together his annual freaks list for the athletic, the top athletic guys in college football. And Aiden Hutchinson was near the top of it, if I, if I recall correctly, but there's this video of him in the Michigan locker room doing the Turkish get up. And for those of you who don't exactly know what it is, I'd look it up myself, but it's like when you, you lift a, a, a bar bench without the, the, the locks on the plates, you're doing it one handed and you, you basically start standing up and you sit down and then get back up again. It's pretty, pretty incredible video to watch. I'd encourage all your listeners to Google it, but like that was, I think, the Michigan strength coaches trying to get across, get get the point across. It, Aiden Hutchinson is one of the strongest dudes they've ever seen. You know, Michigan strength coach Ben Herbert has said on the record that Aiden is probably the strongest guy he's ever worked with. You know, he's been here since 2017. So, like, obviously the 
Um, and he's with at Arkansas before that. But, you know, the strength is there. The talent is there. And I think it's everything you want in a guy that could play that skill position and, and play a long time at the NFL level. I'm curious, kind of talking about his power and his strength. Now, where was that in 2019, that first season where he really saw ample playing time? How has that developed? I know you said he's kind of been that high motor, same guy, same fundamentally technique, sound guy since he got here. But how has that power and how has that strength improved? Because I think that's kind of one area where it's like, holy crap, this guy – knew he was strong, but I didn't know he was knocked Ohio State's left tackle on his ass strong about 12 <laughs> times. So I'm just kind of curious how, how that has developed. I, I think that's just come along in the last couple of years and just him just growing and maturing and getting older. I mean, if you look at his stats, even going back to 19, when he, when he started every game as a sophomore, it isn't too far behind from what he is now. I mean, he had more tackles then, uh, more tackles for loss then. Now he's had more sacks and, and more PBUs and hurries and hurt and, and everything else, pressures this year. Uh, but I think him recognizing and getting smarter, you know, his football IQ growing. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Michigan just utilizing him better. You know, before this year, he was traditionally an end, hand on the, hand on the ground, traditionally at 4-3. Michigan reverted more to a 4-2-5, 3-4 look this year where Hutchinson was kind of going back and forth between a natural end and outside linebacker slash edge rusher. And I think that's where his growth really, really showed through this year. Uh, he, he's able to put some of his moves on to, to evade tackles and get to the quarterback. And I think their first year corner, Mike McDonald, did a lot of work with him this year. They, they kind of centered their, their defense around him. And I certainly think that not only did his, his strength and his IQ improve, but I think having playmakers around him, you know, they had David Ajabo on the other side to attract opposing defenses. They had some experience behind him at linebacker. I think it was really the perfect storm for Ryan Hutchinson to, to not only come back this year and play well, but put up the numbers that he did. We've talked a lot, Aaron, about uh, what Aiden Hutchinson can do. What can't he do? I mean, like what's when, as he goes into the league, what's the knock on him? Where does he have to improve the most? I think the one, if there's one knock, it's probably in coverage. You know, if you go, if you look at his PFF grade and some of the things of what analysts are saying, you know, he's, he's great against in pass rush. He's, he's pretty good in rush defense. He can tackle relatively well, but it's in coverage. So I, I think that's probably the one area of concern. If there is an area of concern for NFL team, that's probably it. Um, so I, that's probably the one area they're going to have to be careful about how they utilize them, you know, on the edge there. How much yeah, was but, he asked to drop back in coverage? How was that, how much of that was part of the defense? Like weekly, was he getting like sporadic looks like maybe one or two a game, or was that kind of an afterthought in that defense? Yeah. an afterthought, he didn't do it a ton at all. So it, it was very limited. And I think that was probably by design. And, and they, they obviously looked at his positives and wanted to accentuate those and, and obviously hide the negatives. A lot of the pass rush situation or the pass coverage situations, excuse me, were leaned on obviously the, the middle linebackers and, and Michigan was certainly going at times they were playing with five defensive backs. Uh, so that, so that Aiden really wouldn't have to worry about pass coverage situations. I feel like when I watched Michigan this year, which was not that much, but a few games that I, I feel like I saw Aiden Hutchinson in coverage more than I would have expected to just given what he can do in the pass rush. Like I, I just saw him dropping out into the flat a lot more than I think I would have schemed up if I were in Michigan. <laughs> Is that valid? Aaron, or am I off base? Yeah. Yeah, no, he did. He did. I mean, uh, they, they, they wanted, it, it was clear that they wanted to get him to the quarterback as much as possible. Um, but they weren't afraid of, of throwing him in other situations. Like that's the thing. The guy can get all over the field. He can make a play in, in open, open tackle in the field. He can do basically whatever they want. And, and, he, and he was the heart and soul of that defense. So they, they had no issue doing putting him wherever, uh, but he, he excelled mostly when it, when it came to the pass rush and, and, and r- rush defense. And now so, that we're saying this one play that popped in my head, as Kyle is saying that in that playoff game, he 
kind of popped out into the flat mm. and had one of the more memorable games of the day stopping i think it was their slot wide receiver on a mm. quick little screen so just kind of those wheels like that i mean people are kind of hating on his bend the guys that are really looking into that one game are complaining about his bend and stuff like that but just like what's the counter argument to that i mean what is his athleticism what is his dip his flexibility oh it's top of the line i mean i having covered this team since 2017 i can't think of a more and michigan's look michigan's had some very good pass rushers and defensive ends i mean you can go to uh you know you can go to quitty pay you can go to josh uche he was more that pass rush typical uh third down situation but i can't think of a more athletic defensive lineman michigan has had under jim harbaugh like and they've had some good ones i mean they've had some top guys that but he, Aiden Hutchinson, to me, always looked like kind of an edge rusher and almost outside linebacker. He was that twingy guy who, like, I feel like you could play either spot. But for this first two or three years at Michigan, he was so focused on the end, uh, hand on the ground and the like. And it, it almost seemed like sometimes he was overman, overpowered. And I think that's where, again, as we were talking about, the years have gone on. They have realized how, I think, best to utilize him. And that's what I think paved the way for his, his breakout year this year. So Aaron, we don't have a huge sample size when it comes to Brad Holmes um, and his team and how they're going to draft. We just have one class so far. It was just seven guys. So it's pretty light. Um, but they've talked a lot about wanting to build through the trenches. They want grit and toughness, physicality. And these are buzzwords that I hate because you hear them from everyone every year, from every team at every level of football. But the Lions have really lived it, and, and they, they, you saw it in their first draft class, Panay Sewell at seventh overall, uh, and they took defensive linemen in the second and third rounds, really at the expense of getting the offensive playmakers they needed. And when they finally got one of those guys, uh, Amon Rossi and Brown in the fourth round, he was like the best blocking wide receiver in the country. Um, you know, these guys, they got some sons of bitches in this class. I, I, I mean, that's really what they did. Guys that have taken a lot of edge to Detroit, a lot of attitude to Detroit. Uh, St. Brown was fighting with guys in the first day of padded work, started a fight with a first round pick on like day three. Um, and this is like the 112th pick in the draft. And then he's go, he goes out there in the, you know, in his rookie season. And I mean, he really is one of the best blocking wide, uh, wide receivers I've seen. Um, clearly these things that people talk about, the lines are serious about. Um, so I guess, it, you know, with, as it relates to Hutchinson, like what is the character profile there? Because this, this is obviously important to the lines. It's not just a matter of being good, but does he have this kind of profile off the field, in the locker room, in the weight room? Um, the attitude that they're looking for. Do you, do you see this in this guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's a bona fide leader of this Michigan football program in 2021, it was Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, he was the guy that was kind of rallying guys to come back for another year uh, to kind of develop that camaraderie in the locker room. Uh, he was the one that kind of put his foot down when there was outside noise about the quarterback situation with Kate Macter and J.J. McCarthy. I can't think of a better leader or a better guy that you want in the locker room than Hutchinson. I mean, he was the guy that, as I mentioned, came to Michigan because he wanted to play here. He wanted to start here. He wanted to finish here and get Michigan over the top. And, and he followed through on all that. So I, I, from a character standpoint, I don't think there's going to be any issue with the Lions and Nate Hutchinson. In fact, I, I would not surprise me at all if we go through the draft combine process and you hear – you know, Aiden Hutchinson flied it, you know, um, you know, uh, went through the interviews with flying colors. I mean, the guy is, is that good. He, he, uh, he, he did well in the classroom. He was all academic, all big 10. Uh, and, and he did on the field too. So I guess my last question for you, and this leads well into it is, you know, what, what's it been just like on a personal level, I guess, dealing with Aiden Hutchinson, like just forgetting the football stuff for a second, just, just talking to the guy and getting to know him a little bit as you have, um, do you have any stories about covering him or seeing him around town or the stories that you've heard around town about him? Um, you know, just off the field, what's, what, you know, what's your interactions been like with him? 
Yeah, no standout stories, but I, I will say he was he's very good to deal with. Very personable. He he does, you know, take the time to stop to talk literally anyone. I mean, I can, I can remember at bowl trips or after games, if, if there's a little fan on the sidelines, he makes sure to stop and sign autographs. He's he's not the 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 big the big guy on campus feel. You don't get that with him at all. He he's kind of that down to earth guy who feels like he I think he feels like he has to work for everything that he's accomplished. And I think that's that's where he gets a lot of that the work ethic from. His, his dad obviously played at Michigan. His mother went to Michigan, so there's there's obviously that connection there. But no, I, he's he's the, he's an absolute rock star from that perspective. Great to interview. He's always great with the media. I suspect he'll, he'll probably be great with you guys too. Uh, but no, nothing nothing but great things to say about him. And and honestly, I, I wouldn't say that about all the Michigan draft picks in the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aaron McMahon covers the Michigan football team here for M Live. He's also the co-host of. Wolverine Confidential, our very popular Michigan podcast here at MLive. Aaron, thanks again for for taking the time. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, man. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.